Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life. And I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way, with the belief that to understand the light, one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new, hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson, and excited for another episode tonight to have another phenomenal guest. And, I, you know, I've just had some amazing guests on this show so far. Very grateful for the guests I've had so far up to this point and um, grateful for uh, you guys that are listening and engaging and giving me good feedback. And also, I, I've had some of you reach out and say, hey, you got to put this person on the podcast uh, this has been an awesome journey, and I'll tell you what, I've gotten way more out of this than I think anyone else, but um, it's been incredible, and miracles have definitely happened in my life. My heart has softened, uh, I've grown in my empathy and compassion, and um, it's helping me become a lot more like the the young man that I've got with me tonight, who I've just been super impressed by. Um, so tonight's episode is um, going to be a fun one. So Buckle in. You're going to learn some awesome things. Drew Young, ladies and gentlemen, is going to share some really in incredible wisdom with us tonight. Um, I've been following Drew Young for, for quite a while now on social media, and he's one of those voices that every message, and, and it seems like it's a daily message, Drew. I don't know how often you post, but every message you put out there, it's not it's not about like, Hey, glory to me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at who I, it's not that it's, Hey, if you haven't felt seen in a long time, I see you. If you need anything, here I am for those people that are part of a marginalized group. Or, you know, if you're, if you feel like you don't have any value or worth or whatever it may be, you do. And, and here's why. And I just, you know, Drew, I'm so grateful to have you on. Um, I've learned a little bit about you and what you've done, but people like you um, make this world such a better place. And there are a lot of hurt hearts out there for whatever reason, uh, whether it's trial, tragedy, um, you know, mental health, physical health, whatever it may be. There's so many reasons and all of us go through it and voices like yours put a lot of love out into the world and, and we just absolutely need more of it. Um, we, we kind of tend to live in a place where it's judgmental and roughs most of the time. And your voice is making a huge difference real quick before I turn it over to you, Drew, you're from Connecticut originally. So East coast kid coming at you and, uh, currently living in Sandy. You've got a wife, Sabrina, and then your daughter, Emerson and Emerson is how old? She's still a youngster. Yeah. She's 16 months. So oh she's, man. She's, she's there. 
you're almost, you're almost to the point where she's going to come crawling into your bed every night after you try and get her in her own room, yeah. right? <laughs> That's right. She's opening doors. So. That's awesome, man. So anyway, going through the thick of it, getting ready to move to Texas from what I understand, correct? Yeah, that's right. End of this year, we're uh, packing up and starting out on a new venture. All right, my friend. Well, you know what happens when you move to Texas? You got to buy yourself a state flag. It's got to be in every room of the house. <laughs> that's and right. You got to represent, man. Those people are for real and they we represent will. their state. We Good. Good. Well, they're lucky to have you. Um, <laughs> Drew, grateful that you joined me. Um, excited for you to share your story and, and talk about some of the things that you've learned as you've gone through a lot of pain yourself and you've come to a place where now you see people in that pain and, and there's nothing more you want to do than, than help them. So take it away, my friend, enough of me. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for the platform. Appreciate the kind words and uh, I'm grateful to be here. And, you know, like you and I were talking about before this uh, to anyone who's listening to this program, uh, first of all, you're in the right place. This is, you know, where you need to be listening this afternoon, this morning, this evening. Um, and I'm grateful to, to share my story. And, and you were talking about how I tend to speak to people who are marginalized in some way. My, my audience are those who have gone through tough times or are going through tough times, whether they be mentally, emotionally spiritually, psychologically, even physically. Uh, and a story came to mind in, in my own personal experience that I thought would be a great way to start. And really it happened when I was a youngster. So as you mentioned, I grew up in Connecticut, loved it. Um, it's a great place to start my childhood. Uh, when I was 12, my family moved to Utah and uh, I was really excited. Um, all my family was in Utah, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. Uh, we came out every summer. Um, so I was, I was psyched for it. And uh, we moved at the end of sixth grade. And so I was, had just turned 12 that year. And growing up, I'd always had a lot of separation anxiety, um, which is basically where I would get really homesick um, if I wasn't around my mom. And that hindered my ability to um, go to school at times, um, hang out with friends, go to church activities, et cetera. But I'd always seem to get past it. You know, it'd last a couple months, I'd get past it. You know, I'd, I'd wake up with it one morning, the next day I'd be gone. So I just kind of always thought, all right, I'll just grow out of this eventually. Um, and then when we moved to Utah, we moved in uh, beginning of May of 20, 2008. And in August, of that very year is when I had another one of my separation anxiety kind of launching pads. Um, I was at scout camp with, uh, with some friends, some leaders and woke up again one morning and it was there. Like, uh, it was, it was getting at me for the first time and, uh, it didn't actually help me out in terms of making friends and, uh, trying to warm up to the, uh, the community and the, the, um, the religious community, the social community, the school community. Um, and it, it hit me with a vengeance. It was, it was mm -hmm. a really hard time for me, uh, which led to a lot of bullying, a lot of teasing, something that I had never experienced before. Uh, and something that I had, I didn't know that kids could be so mean to people. And I, I always grew up, I mean, 
perhaps it was the way I was raised, perhaps it was just, you know, good fortune, but um, I was always told, you know, be kind. Um, we don't make fun of people, you know, we don't make people feel bad in order to make ourselves feel better. That's not what a, a good person does. And I'm not saying that these other kids were, weren't raised the same way. They probably were raised the same way as me. It's just somewhere down the line, they experienced pain themselves that they didn't know how to cope with. So they took it out on others. That happened to be me. Um, and uh, it was a daily basis of, you know, getting called really vicious names, getting beat up in the alleyway, um, getting told, you know, go back to Connecticut. Um, don't come to church. We don't want you here. And uh, you mix that with separation anxiety and it's uh, it destroyed my self-esteem. It destroyed my self-worth, uh, my confidence, my personality. And um, it was during those dark times that I actually turned to pornography to try and soften the uh, emotional gap a little bit. Were you still and, about 12, 13 around this time frame? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And the bullying went from about 12 to 16. Okay. And so it was that, you know, four year period where um, I was just at a very low place, not the lowest of lows in my life. We'll get to that in a little bit, but I was, I was at the lowest place that I had been up to that point in my life. And it, and it kind of like, so if you're saying you're 16, you're, you're taking that into high school. So, right. Yeah. Cause like in, in Utah, once you're out of sixth grade at 12, then you're junior high, but, but like you turn 16 in high school. So you take that into a new school, yep. more kids, and that sticks with you. So you kind of have it. Wow, man. Yeah. Tough. It was, uh, yeah, it was tough looking back. Now I can, I can see all the dots connected, but when I was in the, uh, in the heat of the moment, it was, it was very tough. And, um, mm. I, I learned some very important lessons, um, during that time. And, uh, I learned obviously the importance of kindness. I talk a lot about kindness and, and different things that I write, different things that I post, uh, just because it's like a religion to me. It's just something that I live by wholeheartedly. Um, and it's something that I don't, um, bowling is not something I put up with anymore. Um, and I don't accept it in my life or in other people's lives. Good and I'm you. very, very strict with setting boundaries with people who, uh, take that away from other people, um, or you. try and inflict that upon me. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, my wife knows, she knows that I don't, I don't deal with mean people. Um, I will, I will cut that off very quickly. Um, and so, yeah, this, this, uh, this bullying, this, this, emotional abuse if you will um well it sounds like it was physical too right i mean if you oh my gosh man yeah um and obviously it was tough because i was conflicted with um you know you don't want to be a crybaby going you know cry to your mom and dad saying you know these kids are picking on me blah 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 um at the same time you don't want it to continue yeah um and so you know to this day, I don't know the exact reasons, but every single time I did go to an adult about it, it was just kind of brushed under the carpet. Nothing was ever done. Um, 
nothing, you know, no parents were ever talked to, no church leaders were ever talked to is kind of laughed off like, oh, boys will be boys, blah, 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 blah. Hmm. Um, and uh, to this day, it's one of the things that I'm disappointed in, um, the leaders and the adults that were around me, uh, because they downgraded what was actually happening. And, you know, funny enough, um, it never happened when they were watching. It was, uh, it wasn't when they were watching. Oh, that's <laughs> that's <worst>. odd. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, believe it or not, I mean, the, the adults didn't do much. And so it got to the point where, you know, I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to go to scouts. I didn't want to go to school. In fact, I was homeschooled seventh through 10th grade oh, no because kidding. of this. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that didn't help either with the, uh, with the anxiety or with the bullying, because I was a loner. I was still, you know, very, um, conservative. I was very, you know, you know, in my house all the time. Um, and that also didn't help with, you know, the pornography issue because I was still very low emotionally. And so that was the only way that I knew to kind of numb the pain for a matter of moments. An escape. Uh, Yeah. It's an escape is, is exactly what it is. And so, right around the age of 16 um it was sophomore year of high school and uh i was like hey i i think i'm i'm ready to go back to school and so i started playing sports that was kind of my way to get back into you know friendshiping circles and uh that's kind of where i made my first friends in utah was you know through playing basketball um football and uh to this day you know those are some of my my greatest friendships that i have because um I was in a better place and, you know, those people were, were kind and, you know, anything that has to do with, you know, sports and community, you kind of come together as teammates. Um, and so that was a big help for me. Um, and around that time is where I had an eye-opening experience, which is kind of coming full circle to where you talked about how come I speak to these people who feel like they're less than, who feel like their value has been stripped from them in some way or another. And it was, it, it had been a rough day, um, more bullying, um, didn't feel great. And I came home from school and I kind of came through the door, shut the door, walked upstairs, put my backpack on the ground, walked into the bathroom, turned the light on, looked myself in the mirror. And I still remember it clear as day. I, I looked into the mirror and I said, I will never treat anyone the way that I've been treated because I never want anyone to feel the way I felt. And it was one of those moments in life that um, is almost like an awakening, um, spiritual rebirth, I guess you could say, where it was that moment on that I changed. Um, And I guess you could say it changed me. Yeah. Because up to that point, I had, you know, I just tried to to hide. You know, I tried to get out of the way of the bullies. I tried to, you know, skip church. I tried to, you know, put on this face of, you know, everything's okay. But, you know, in the meanwhile, I was watching pornography in my room and hoping that, you know, I wouldn't be noticed by anybody. But it was that moment in my life where I kind of took back that power in a sense where I said, you know, this is where I've learned the lesson and this is where I'm going to start living my life. 
so I, I went, went back to school, um, and my junior senior year were amazing. They're fantastic. No kidding. uh, Yeah. I had kind of moved away from the, those individuals that were very toxic in my life. Um, I, uh, my family actually moved houses to a different neighborhood, um, which helped a lot because we are in different, you know, a different church and all this different stuff. Fresh Um, start. Yeah. Fresh start. And, um, yeah, so that was that was kind of the turning point to where those those final years of high school where my friends and I got really close. We helped each other, you know, prepare to go on full time missions. We um, were able to, you know, all repent of our, you know, our, our sins and our misconduct um, as teenagers. And, you know, there were still it's high school. There were still times when, you know, kids are jerks, kids are bullies, whatever. But I had a sense of self-confidence and self-esteem that hadn't been there the last, you know, five years. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of my, that's, that's kind of where my story starts. If yeah. You will. Yeah. So, so do you mind if I go back real quick before we move on? Yeah. There's a lot to yeah. dig into here and I don't want to forget it all before we go into <laughs> what you're doing now. Right. So I, yeah. one, one thing I find very interesting is you, you said a couple things about when you were in those young days, right? Um, fascinating to me that you, you kind of offer those kids grace right off the bat. You're like, you know, kids are kids and yes, it's still not right. It never is. So if there's any kids that hear this, come on, like just (laughs) be the, be the bodyguard, not the boy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but the, but the ones that you look to right now and that you would say, where were you is the adults, the leaders, the ones that, should have had the experience to know exactly how this stuff happens. Yeah. That didn't hear you, didn't see you, didn't show up for you. Um, did you ever have an experience where you really tried to talk to an adult besides your mom and dad? Um, I can't remember a specific instance. I do remember numerous occasions where I had talked to my scout leaders, for instance, because campouts were the worst, man. Um, <laughs> I hated those things. Um, and, uh, you know, there were times where I even asked, like, the adults, like, can I sleep in your tent? Because I do not want to be around these kids anymore. And they were like, no, no, you don't sleep in our tent. Come on. Um and looking back now, yeah. I can see like obviously there's some like there's there's deeper stuff. Yeah, yeah. But um, even then, I was never. No one ever really like took me aside and was like, "Is there something going on like that I should know about?" Like, you know. Um, and I guess I just didn't have the the wherewithal or the the personality that was really you know like listen, I need to tell you something, you know. Um, but what kid does, Drew? right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. no kid does. And so this is what you're saying right now is very important for us as adults to listen to, especially if you're in some type of yeah. parental or leadership role, right? Like open, yeah. listen up. Yeah, exactly. You got to be aware, get to know the people that are underneath your wing, so to speak. Um, and I mean, if you're, if you're not looking for it, you're not going to see it. I yeah. mean, it's just going to, 
it's you're going to see exactly what you want to see if you think you know kids are just being kids then that's exactly what you're going to see but if you're if you have the wherewithal and the sympathy the compassion to even just go the extra step maybe it's a lesson in church maybe it's you know uh um a night with the parents where you just sit down and say hey you know we're gonna have a lot of fun doing you know x y and z playing sports scouting church whatever we're gonna have a lot of fun together but here's some things that will not be tolerated and if i see it there's going to be consequences Sets um, boundaries. yeah exactly yeah. and um i think that can go a long ways um because yeah it's just uh in my own life and in the lives of people that I'm around, it's, it's something that's not acceptable. No, man, good for you. I, and I've I made love, that pretty clear now. I love, I love <laughs> that. But that's, that's the, the beauty of it, right? Those is, is, is now you become a defender, right? You're not just, and, and look, so real quick on that idea, I, I just think this is a space right now, Drew, where we can have some dialogue about like, Hey, leaders pay attention, you know, and, and how it's unfortunately for us as adults, you know, we get so busy with life, we're distracted, we're exhausted. And then all of a sudden the word wants us to go on a camping trip. And it's like, yeah. I don't even have a son in this thing. And I got to go camp and <laughs> yes. holy crap. And um, I mean, it's just like, we are, we are stretched thin for yeah. sure. But all of us has the ability when a young kid comes up and, and you can tell that they're hurt or there is something going on or if you engage a child, that's just like, you can tell something's going on. We have the ability to get down on our knees and just look them in the eye and say, are you okay? Yeah. And listen and validate that. Like what people tell you, we've got to start learning to accept as the truth. Yep. If someone says I got hurt. Then you don't think in your brain, Oh, what did you do? Stub your toe, walk it off. Right. Yeah. Like that doesn't work anymore. We're, we're smarter yeah. than that. So we need to show up for each other. So, okay. You, you go through this, you, um, you, you, you transition schools. All of a sudden you get to a place of confidence because you have this awakening as you look yourself in the mirror and you're like, no more. So, so what got you to the point drew where you walked in there, you looked yourself in the eyes and you're like, I love you, man. Like I no more of this for you yeah. because I love you. And, and was God in that moment for you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was a huge moment of grace in my life. Um, and I think that even though, you know, I wasn't, and I would say part of me, part of who I am is, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I, I really try and connect with God on a daily basis, whether that's through prayer, whether that's through journaling, you know, whether that's through listening to calming music, it's just always been a part of me. And so even when I was going through those really dark times, and even when I was, you know, experiencing the weakness in pornography or anything like that, I would always try and come closer to God. I would always try and say, I'm sorry, like, I didn't mean to do that. Like, please forgive me, you know. Um, and so I would definitely say that and to anyone who's who's listening to this, like God knows exactly what you're going through and where you are. And even though he may seem silent, I thought he was silent for four years. You know, I wanted him to to punish those who were punishing me. Um, but he was really just coaching me, um, preparing me to be who I am today. 
And, you know, I wouldn't have known that 13 years later, you know, I'd have two books and, you know, be able to influence and, and write and speak and coach and do all these things because of the pain that I had experienced. Uh, but he did. And so any pain, any trial, any refiner's fire that we're going through may not be solved overnight, but it, it's going to manifest itself eventually. And we're going to know exactly why it happened and exactly the blessings that came from it. I'm a hundred percent sure of that. I mean, I mean to say in the, in like the dark, some very, very dark parts of your life that God was using that to coach you. That's yep. man, that is deep. That's like, Whoa, <laughs> well, hold, hold, no, hold on a sec, man. Like, I mean, as you're getting bullied, you're like, well, hey, hey, coach, blow the whistle, like yell at the refs, like get a technical right now because exactly. that's what you're supposed to do, right? But that's powerful because in the in those in those moments that you're going through, in hindsight, as you as you hold on, as you as you persevere, as you try your best to just get through it and make it through it. And and literally sometimes you feel like you're hanging on to an edge of a cliff with like your knuckles, right? Like you've got nothing left. But when you make it through, that's exactly how he he allows you to feel his love the most powerfully and to see clearly your value, right? Like mm. those experiences teach you how much he loves you. When you're in those moments, you feel like, where are you? That's a powerful yeah. thought, man. That And that's very true as well. Yeah. So don't give up. Okay. So let's transition. So you, you get to this place. And and I see your life now, but did did that really change that dynamically for you then and there and then ever since? It's been, hey man, I'm gonna go be the defender. I'm gonna I'm gonna start calling you the bodyguard, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, in terms of kindness, that's where it started for me. Um, ever since that that day when I, you know, said that to myself in the bathroom it's, it's been there and it's, it's only strengthened since that point because of, you know, some other experiences, which I've had. And, uh, did that start with you? Did, did were you like in the mirror that day? Were you like, I love you. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was mostly, it was mostly, you know, this is how I'm going to treat others from now on, you know, with a sense of respect and, um, loyalty and compassion because of how I've been treated. Um, but it was also, yeah, this is how I'm going to treat myself. Uh, I've never been one to, and this is another thing too, that I want people to understand is, you know, some people may say, Oh, why didn't you fight back? You know, like, why didn't you actually stand up for yourself? And, you know, I think that's a fair question. Some people do that really well. Some people can, you know, push back or call names back or, you know, do something like that. And, you know, the bullying stops or whatever. Um, but that was never me. I never thought that that would do anything, nor did I want to do that. Um, even I remember a particularly close family member once told me, well, if they call you a retard, just call them a retard back. Like if they push you against the fence, push them against the fence back. I for an eye, baby. Yeah. And, you know, even as a 13 year old kid, I registered that as being like, well, why would I do that? I'm literally just going down to the level that they're 
at right now. And so I've always been one to, you know, just kind of let it pass. Um, and that's part of my sensitivity and it's part of why I got hurt so badly is because I, I never really stood up for my sense in the traditional way. Um, and there were times where, you know, I felt like, yeah, I, I probably could have done something more to protect myself, but uh, it's not something I regret. It's just something that I can use moving forward. And so I would say to people that are in that situation or to parents or leaders, um, again, it's, it's do what is best for the child. Um, you know, they may be a certain height, they may be a certain weight, they may be, have certain, you know, inclinations, they may be, you know, they may be strong, they may be weak, it, it really depends on who the person is. I mean, I was a short little kid with glasses, and I wasn't looking for a fight. Um, but you may be a really big kid who's getting picked on for some reason, and you can just say, this is enough, I'm not dealing with this anymore, and handle it differently. So it's really, it's an individual circumstance. But I, I think that's really cool in the sense of, I mean, really just fighting, fighting back. What does it do? What does it do? Yeah. It makes you rough. It roughens your, I mean, I mean the, traditionally we think that like, Hey, if someone picks on you, um, slug them back, right? You slug them back or, or pop them in the nose and you'll be fine. They'll leave you alone the rest of your life. Well, th- there's a problem with that. I, we got to remember that everything that we choose to do, it, it does something to our spirits and our souls, uh-huh. right? So you have the ability to choose and by making a choice of, of trying to, well, let, let me rephrase this, by, by looking at people in the sense of, I would never do that to somebody. Why are they doing this to me? That's not a sign of weakness, Drew. That to me, that's like, that shows your strength. That shows me as a young kid that you at least understand, hey, look, no one should ever be treated this way. And yeah. and although I'm getting picked on and this hurts and this is awful and, and and it caused some dark moments for you in your life, at least at least you understood that no one else deserved to feel that way. Right. And and that's that's a beautiful thing because now all of a sudden looking back on that, if you had started fighting back, well then you wouldn't be in the space that you're in now where all of a sudden you look for opportunities to step in and protect people and mm. to see people that aren't seen. And, right. and if you, if you would have fought back, you wouldn't be the guy you are today. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of it is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You, you, you know, as hurtful as it was and as hard for you as it was, you made the right choice. I, I believe that with all my heart because that's, Thanks. that's, that's Christ-like man. Anyway, keep rocking. Let's, let's go, let's go for more. Yeah, let's do it. So um, from there, I, like I mentioned, my uh, all my friends and I, we decided to turn in our mission papers uh, to serve full-time missions. And um, I was assigned to labor in the Baltic mission, which all is right. Western Europe. And so um, Estonian speaking was my, was my assignment. So I was going to go to the country of Estonia. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously in the back of my mind was, you know, I'm so excited to do this, but you know, what about the separation anxiety, anxiety. Thing, which has plagued me, you know, for so many years. And from about 16 to 19, before I left, I hadn't had any separation anxiety. So I, I was pretty confident that, you know, this was going to be just a easy breezy thing for me. Sure. Um, and three of my older brothers had served missions. My dad served mission, you know, just kind of like the thing you do. All my friends were going. Um, it's just the next step. 
in the the life of a, a male member of the church. And so I, you know, packed up my bags and, and left for the MTC. And uh, that's kind of where my my story gets started from, you know, age 19 to where I am today. Okay. Um, where, you know, some of the, uh, some of the darkest moments in my life, um, but some of the moments that I've just been filled with the most joy have been, you know, these last six years. Uh, and so anyways, I, I went to the MTC and from about the second week, I knew that something was wrong. Um, it wasn't anxiety, separation anxiety. I kind of, I, I know the difference and it wasn't like, oh, I miss my mom. I miss my dad. It was just kind of like, something isn't right here. You know, I, I feel this over this kind of, it's, where do I put it? It was almost like this overemphasis of, I need to be perfect. I need to do this I, I can't get up at 6 30 i have to get up at 5 30 if i'm not up at 5 30 oh, studying man. the language reading my scriptures then i will not be blessed for the day um you know if i'm not this exactly obedient you know very strict missionary you know how can i expect to bring people to the gospel and uh you know i was <laughs> that just you know that wasn't just my own paradigm of thinking that had been drilled into me from a very young age um, by, you know, family, by from church leaders. And then when I was in the MTC, um, my MTC presidency and my my zone leaders were all very, you know, you got to do X, Y, and Z. You got to make sure that you're being, you know, exactly obedient. And exactly. Something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's funny now looking back, but obviously it wasn't funny when we were there because it, it really damaged my um, self-esteem. But one of the, the phrases that floated around the MTC and that continued to float around church culture is obedience brings blessings, exact obedience brings miracles, um, which I think is so silly and uh, extremely, extremely like we've, we, you've earned it. Here's a miracle. You've earned it. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. You yeah. don't need any grace where, where we come from. Yeah. Um, Cause you can control everything you've earned. So, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I, I use that phrase as gospel. I was like, yep. If it's to be, it's up to me. I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to take this exact obedience thing and I'm going to be that missionary. If it kills me, I'm the captain of my soul. Right. Yep. Exactly. It, it, it destroyed, it destroyed me emotionally, mentally, even started to physically because about week three on the MTC, I wasn't sleeping. Um, I couldn't sleep at night. I, my heart was racing like crazy. Um, I would just break down and cry during the day for no reason at all. Um, I was so uptight, so stressed and I would be, you know, writing home, writing my parents saying, you know, this is what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I'm just so tired. I was gaining weight. I was like, I'm so stressed. I feel like I have to be perfect. <sighs> and uh, about week four, uh, they, I was able to go see the therapist at the MTC. It was the first time I'd seen a therapist. Love therapy. Huge advocate for therapy. I, I definitely think that, um, you know, one of my life goals is to try and make it available and affordable for as many people as possible. Just because, 
you know, it, it, it healed me in so many different ways. One of the reasons why I'm here today. And that was the first time in your entire life you'd experienced it. So yeah. not even, okay, gotcha. Yeah. And I, I'd always grown up, you know, with the thought of, you know, only weak people go to therapy. Yep. What is this therapy stuff? You know, <laughs> back then you called them shrinks. Um, and I've never used that one day in my life after I went to therapy. Cause I know how, uh, stigmatizing that, that word can be. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, my therapist was awesome. It was the one hour of my week where I actually felt heard and felt understood and felt like I was going to be able to make it. Uh, but as the time progressed, you know, week five went and I was getting worse. They put mm. me on medication for the first time in my life. Um, and it took the edge off a little bit. Um, but it was not working. And so week seven, they put me on another medication week eight, they put me on another medication. Um, and anyone that takes medication may be aware that usually it takes anywhere between four to six weeks to see a, a change in your brain chemistry. And so you don't really want to try a lot of different medications at once because you don't know which one is actually working, which one isn't. And I think the MTC doctors were so just like, this kid's going to go to Europe in three weeks. We have to get him on something fast. And uh, unfortunately, that wasn't the best thing because mm. they ended up just canceling each other out. And none of the medications worked. Oh, man. Um, they just actually made me super depressed um, and just even more perfectionistic. And I didn't know what was going on. And so you're you know, beating the heck out of yourself at this point. Like you're beating yourself up internally. That inner voice is just yeah. like, you're, you're not enough. You're not good enough. You, man. Yeah, it was, it was a combination of, of spiritual, uh, wrestling, emotional wrestling, physical wrestling. Yeah. Uh, and you know, meanwhile, you're, you're with these people, you know, 24 seven, you can only not see them when you're in the bathroom and it's just all a very new experience here. You know, you're in a classroom 10 hours a day, you know, learning a language that you have no idea what's going on. So it's a lot. It, it was, it was very traumatizing for me. Um, and I still remember one day I was, we were in class and this is something that, um, you know, adds to my mental health journey and my story is we were in class one day and it was just one of those days, I think it was like week seven and I wasn't doing well. And, uh, the teacher was teaching in about, uh, towards right before the end of class, uh, we were, you know, saying a prayer. We finish the prayer. I start bawling my eyes out and just kind of releasing everything that I've been building up. And uh, the teacher comes over and she starts talking to me in Estonian. And I was like, what the heck are you saying? And I was, I wasn't laughing. I was like crying pretty heavily, just not in a good place. And, and she kept talking to me in Estonian and I'm like, what is happening? Um, and so like two minutes later, she stops and she says, are you okay? She says, are you okay in English? And I say, no, I'm just having a really rough day. And I said, I, I did not understand anything that you were saying. Um, like, this is just very rough for me. And then she says something that I still remember to this day. I wrote it in my first book. I try and teach people not to do it. But she said, oh, Elder Young, I was just seeing how far I could go. And so... In my mind, I thought, how far you can go? Are you kidding me? Like, do you not understand the way that, you know, this whole environment is very stressful, very anxiety producing? 
Um, and I thought to myself, how often do we put that phrase on other people in our lives, whether it's religious, whether it's, you know, in school, whether it's in our families, whether it's, you know, trying to help somebody, you know, see themselves in a different way, but we're not doing it effectively. How often do we metaphorically use the phrase, oh, I'm just seeing how far I can go. And, um, you know, sometimes we are really hard on ourselves and we're really hard on other people because we don't fully understand what they're going through. And I use that phrase when I talk to people about mental health, because people that haven't experienced mental health challenges don't really understand how other people are experiencing those same things. And a lot of the time they are extremely, um, I guess the word is um, unassuming of what people go through. And so a lot of the time they're just seeing how far they can go until someone breaks down or someone, you know, is burnt out or someone's exhausted. And then they're finally like, Oh, okay. I didn't realize like that you needed a break or I didn't realize that you were that, you know, sensitive, et cetera, et cetera. Man, it's very wise. So, uh, yeah. So I, that, that was one of the phrases that stuck out to me, but um, so that was week seven, week eight. Um, the, uh, the medical committee, the MTC got together and, and, uh, and decided that I was going to go home. And this was, you know, such relief, but such a, a terror inducing feeling in me because my entire life I had been told that you don't come home early from a mission because those who come home early are, are either doing it because they didn't confess a sin or maybe they have cancer or something huge like has happened. Like I had something's wrong with you. Right. Yeah, not like like yeah. big wrong. Not just like, yeah, there's a little there's anxiety there and we gotta figure this out. It's like there's something majorly wrong with you. Yeah. And I even I had a friend whose dad died when he was on his mission and he didn't even come home for the funeral. Like and so me coming home because I was stressed out or I was, you know, not sleeping or having these panic attacks was like, Are you serious? Like this isn't good enough reason to come home, you know? And, um, I even remember my dad who I love and we have a great relationship to this day. Um, even he wrote me a letter saying like, we do not want you to come home. Like you got to get out there. You know, you got to push through this because yeah. it's the pioneer mentality endure to the end. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, when they said, you know, we think that you need to go home to get better. It was a huge sigh of relief on my emotional part but a huge, like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Like, did I just make the biggest mistake of my life? Should I have just pushed through? Should I have just faked it and gone into the, you know, country um, of Estonia and, and just hope that, you know, this all would all go away. And so, yeah, I came home. My, the rest of my companions zone, whatever, went out to, you know, Europe. And uh, those ensuing two years of my life were, um, were hell for me. They were, uh, the darkest moments. They were, um, the most painful moments. Um, they were the moments where I didn't have anyone I could talk to. I was friendless. Um, I was culturally shamed. I was culturally embarrassed. Uh, I was told that, 
you know, I disappointed my family. Um, one of my brothers told me that I would turn into a drug addict if I stayed home. Um, and it was just, it was such a difficult experience because here I am trying to do the best that I can, trying to show God that I, I gave it my all. I did, I did, I tried to do exactly what you asked me to do. And yet this happens yet I fail. And, uh, it was, it was a really tough experience for me. I, I, I started to, to spiral deep down into, you know, soul crushing depression, not what I had in the MTC. This was depression where I would lie on my bedroom floor at three in the morning, just weeping, contemplating, you know, if I could make it till 6am or if I should figure out a way that I could end my life so I could, you know, be rid of this mortal existence. And, um, you know, all my friends were out on missions, so I couldn't talk to them. Um, there's no way that I would, you know, go to a singles ward or try and put myself out there because the first thing that people ask you is how old are you? And then if you're like 19, 20, the puzzled oh. face comes up with like, oh, you know, they don't necessarily say it, but they want to say it. Like, shouldn't you be on a mission? And, um, you know, I had so many of those conversations where people were like, how old are you? Why aren't you on a mission? Are you serving a mission? And, uh, you know, obviously I've learned never to ask people those types of questions. Um, but all of those experiences kind of shaped the fabric of who I am today, where I am so big on, I don't care if you came home from a mission early. I don't care if you didn't go on a mission in the first place. I don't care if you think you're going to be judged for telling people that you have anxiety or depression or that you're gay or that you're, you have a pornography problem. I don't care about those things. I want you to feel safe around me. I want you to feel like I'm not going to judge you. I want you to feel like you belong in my space because you do. And I don't judge your worth um, by the way that you measure up to culture's standards or to your family's standards. And uh, I had to learn that through some very difficult moments. Um, but again, you know, God was watching over me. And uh, when I thought that I couldn't make it, he was there guiding me, directing me. And, and that's kind of, that's where I have my drive today, where when it was just me. And when I say just me, obviously, you know, I had a lot of spiritual help. But for the most part, it was, you know, I, I took those, those two years of when I'd come home to, you know, I went to therapy every other week. I was taking medication. I was listening to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of motivational speeches and, and reading these books and listening to these podcasts and trying to feed myself with all this positivity and feed myself with all this learning because I knew eventually one day I wouldn't feel the way that I did feel. And I would be able to use that knowledge and, and pay it forward and, and be able to help people who are going through the same thing. And so um, long story short, I, I uh, 2016 came around. I was, I was 22 years old. And my sister-in-law called me up out of the blue one day and said, hey, did you know that um, BYU has a program where you can go to Estonia as an intern? 
And I said, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Cause I wasn't going back as a missionary that that ship had sailed and I had accepted that. And regardless of how many people pressured me to, to do it, I, I had, I said, you know, this isn't the path for me. And, uh, so she said, yeah, you, and you have to be a student at BYU. And I was a student at BYU, Idaho. So, you know, I had to figure out how I was going to transfer and if I could transfer and whatever. But, um, I said, you know, come hell or high water, this is what I'm doing with my life. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This, I was called to Estonia for a reason and I'm going to, I'm going to do this. That's so cool. And so I, uh, yeah, ended up working out. Um, I was able to transfer to BYU. I was able to, um, get into this program. I was able to take care of it financially with some help from some of my close friends and family members. Um, and I was able to, to go to Estonia, to learn the language, to serve in the hospitals there, which is what my internship was, to participate in various medical examinations and, and, and um, inpatient, you know, meetings and different things like that. Um, I was able to go to church. I was able to do everything that I could have done as a missionary and more than what I would have done as a missionary. Um, and it was the best way that God could tell me my plan is better than your plan, buddy. Like (laughs) you were freaking out and you thought that you had failed me. And let me just tell you right now, you were exactly where you needed to be. I had complete control of the situation. Thank you for staying on this earth. You, You know, you weren't supposed to come home yet. You know, um, I know it was hard, but you can now see like, this is why you, this is why you push through those tough moments. This is why you surrender to my will, because it may be two years of hell. And when I mean hell, I mean hell. And there's a lot of people listening to this right now. And you yourself have been through it in your own personal circumstances where they may just be like, this is it. I can't go anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't live one more day with this pain that I'm experiencing. But take that pain, take that turmoil that you're feeling inside of you and learn about it. Learn why you're feeling it. Try and uh, do the things now that your future self will thank you for. And um, try and just make it one more day because I am a living, breathing example that even in the deepest, darkest emotional hits of life, you can make it out, you can become better, or you can become bitter. You can, you know, turn something that isn't even remotely what you had in your plans can become this amazing experience that you wouldn't change for anything else because you finally understand the meaning of it. So I I took those experiences, wrote my first book, The Meaning of Your Mission, which I used um, to highlight what I learned coming so home cool. early from my so mission. So cool. I love <laughs> the title, man. Gosh, oh, that's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and took took what I learned from my, my missionary experience and applied it to a, a broader audience to where I basically talked about how, you know, this something may not have gone according to your plan. Um, you know, we all have these extenuating circumstances that may keep us from living what we feel like is our our missions, whether that may be mental illness, addiction, whether that may be our sexual orientation, our religious orientation. It may be any of those things or a whole plethora of others. Um, but at the end of the day, there's meaning in our missions. 
there's meaning in our pain, there's meaning in our experiences that can take us to the next level if we'll, if we'll let it, if we'll trust in God to do his work. And um, that became a, a number one bestseller and I'm, I'm extremely grateful for the support of it. And then I used my, all those other experiences that I had when I was completely lonely and by myself and all those books that I read and podcasts I listened to and uh, wrote my second book, which comes out in August called Stand Guard at the Door of Your Mind. Oh, that's so cool. That comes out this August. Yeah, this August. So awesome. that's all about um, creating a better mindset for yourself so you can overcome your challenges and overcome your obstacles, whether it be, I talk a lot about mental health. I talk a lot about suicide. I talk a lot about bullying, um, pornography. I talk about these things that are, are plaguing our societies because mm-hmm. people don't understand how to deal with them in healthy ways and how we can overcome them by, by switching our mindset. So I'm, I'm grateful for, for, um, for my story. I'm grateful that I have been able to, uh, through the grace of God, make it to where I am today and have the opportunity to share it with others. Man, I'm grateful too, Drew. Gosh, I, uh, <laughs> holy cow. I mean, I, there's so many, there's so many branches we could go off on from pieces of your story that we could have, you could write many books based on, the, I mean, the shame, the, you know, the bowling, the, the leadership, like you got a whole novel in leadership about like what not to do. Do we hear books on what not to do? No, it's always like, you have to do this. You have to do this. And no one's ever like, Hey, don't do these things. Right. Like let's stay away from this. And, uh, I, I ultimately like the very end of your story, I just hear this trust in God. And, and that just completely reminds me, no matter who it is, no matter what, people are not perfect, no matter how awesome they are. You know, I, I have a grandpa who is a hero of mine, who I've always thought is perfect my whole life. He, he wasn't perfect. He was a great man. Yeah. But he was not perfect, but, but he was connected to God. But he, and that's where, that's where the source of his goodness came from, is he knew who was in charge, and that's who he connected to. And, and I think that's the beauty of it, right, Drew, is, is you, you look to the source, right? You look to the source. And if you start yes. going through some things that are against the grain of what culture is saying you must do or you have to do, you know, we have these, these common things in our culture about like lengthen your stride and raise the bar, all these yeah. things. And, and yes, they're, they're essentially there are a good thing in as a whole. But to some, they're going to cause a lot of problem and a lot of yeah. concern. And we've got to start looking out for all of the above, um, and especially the ones that that are hurt by those things. So, um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a few questions. We're not we're not done here, Drew. I mean, <laughs> I know we can go read it all in the novel, but I'm gonna ask you some questions here. Yeah. Um, I I just thanks again. Like God, I love your story. I love how powerful it is. I love how open you are to um, sharing things that are so shameful in the culture of the, of the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. And, and for, if anyone's not a member and you're listening to this, it's not that it's not that the doctrine of like, Hey, if you don't serve a mission is taught that, Hey, you need to, you need to like really point at those people and make sure they get out there. Like it's not yeah. taught, but like culturally we're all so close yeah, and we, and we believe in in trying to live the best we can. That it's innately, it's there. It's yeah. it's like woven it's within. The, yes, it's those expectations are huge. 
Um, so thank you for, for your courage to open up and, and with strength and conviction, talk about something that is not easy to talk about. And also pornography. Yeah. I mean, let, let's be real folks. Um, I heard the average age that kids are exposed to pornography these days is probably about eight. And I would imagine that's probably high, right? Yeah. With how, right. And with how common pornography is, I mean, we sit and we shame people that when we hear that they have a pornography addiction, but hold, hold on a second. Who, who, you, who as an adult hasn't like ever been experienced to it or flipped through a chat, like whatever. I mean, it's our society shoves it down our throats and we're supposed to like it never, ever, ever have an experience with it. No, that doesn't happen anymore. So how do we make this place, like you were saying, safe to have the conversation and to let someone know that when they've got a problem there, they haven't lost any value. Yeah. Right. Your value is not lost. Anyway. Exactly. I'm going to get to a few of my questions now. You ready? (laughs) I I had to go off on a tangent, man. I'm like, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, Drew. I'm like, I'm (laughs) chugging this stuff, man. That's great. I could could listen to, to this kind of stuff all day. Tell me. Tell me a little bit more about separation anxiety a little bit. So I, yeah. <clears throat> I've, I've seen little flashes of it through siblings of mine through my lifetime. I haven't really had it ever. Um, yeah. My daughter, uh, I have a daughter that's got it and, and I don't really understand it. How, how, does, yeah. how does separation anxiety in your case, so you specifically, how did it like come out like what would what would happen in your behavior yeah and then and then just help me understand it a little bit more and how as adults or how as let's say a young teenager that has it how do you work through processing that yeah most certainly so i think it can manifest itself in a lot of different ways um in one's life for me it was a lot of fear and a lot of panic um like I mentioned, it was fear for my mom's safety, um, fear for her well-being. I was mm. scared that, you know, she would get into a car accident and she would die. I was scared that, um, you know, if I missed the school bus that, you know, I wouldn't be able to see her again. Just like things that are totally irrational. Um, but that's what anxiety is. It plays off of your irrational fears. And uh, but, you know, the key phrase in the separation anxiety is a separation. So whenever you're pulled apart from that person or that place that you find connection with, it can be, um, it can induce a lot of fear and a lot of panic in whoever experiences it. Mm. So like you said, your daughter is, is experiencing something like that. Um, you know, and it may be because she, she finds, um, deep connection with a certain place or a certain person in her life. And when she's pulled away from that, for whatever reason, even if she knows logically that she'll be back in that space or with that person again, that her brain is telling her, but what if this, but what Mm. if that, but what if this, and, um, typically that can, that can exude itself, um, with, you know, a lot of tears with panic attacks with, you know, a lot of crying, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, and I don't know the, necessarily the science behind it but i do know that most of the time it happens in children and a lot of the time like 95 percent of the time they end up growing out of it 
Um, and it may be, I've heard, you know, some research indicating that it can happen when, you know, a child is an infant um, to where, you know, they, an experience happens and it, something clicks in their brain where they are sucked into that loop. My, a couple of my older siblings had it, um, not to the extent I did, um, but they experienced it as well. So I would say as a parent or as a, as a leader who kind of sees what's going on, you know, at the end of the day, your kid, you know, we want the best for our kids. We want them to go to school. We want them to, you know, go to social activities. We want them to, to grow up and be, you know, functioning humans. And so at the end of the day, we kind of have to make a judgment call of, okay, you can stay home from school this day because I, I think that, you know, maybe we need a day together. Maybe what you're experiencing is a little separation anxiety because I haven't been home much lately or we haven't, I've been busy with, you know, your other siblings. Um, and that's just something you'll have to know based on your, your, your child. And, and some other days you may have to say, you know what, I love you. I'm going to be here at three o'clock to pick you up, but I have to go to work and you have to go to school. And that may be really hard for them and they may hate that. And that may be hard for you, but it's just something that they're going to outgrow and they'll, they'll make it through. Yeah. I I've learned with my daughter that fix it. So, you know, fix it, Felix in that movie. Yeah. yeah right. The guy with the hammer. I, yeah, I call it, Ralph. I, yeah. Yes. When I, when I put on my, my fix it, Mike hat, right? Like stupid. So, so stupid. <laughs> um, Mike doesn't fix anything. He, he doing <laughs> stuff, but anyway, um, there's been a couple of times where I just haven't understood it. And I'm like, wait, whoa, why are we freaking out about this thing? It doesn't, it doesn't, it seems so small. Right. Yeah. And so fix it. Mike puts his hat on and he goes into fix it mode. Hey, Savannah, no, no, listen, like this is, and it's amazing what I see happen when I try and do that. The voice gets louder and, and she doesn't want to hear my voice as soon as she knows I go into that fix it mode. Right. It's yeah. shut down, but I've learned that if I will stay quiet, and if I will just simply put my arm on her around her shoulder, or if I'll start scratching her back because she loves that, yeah. But I don't say anything. Then all of a sudden, the tears stop, and it usually yeah. is her turning and looking up at me with a smile on her face, like, "Hey, Dad, what do you want to do?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, what happened?" Like, what, as soon what? as it starts, it stops. Right. It's amazing, but but you're right though because if we don't give it space to breathe yeah. then we crush we you can't crush it so it grows right this this thing grows into a monster and it can it can become very damaging if you don't give it room to breathe and kind of go on its own way Absolutely. that's that's an awesome awesome uh thanks for sharing that with us that's that's so cool sure. now in your studies you tell me some of the things that you studied at BYU because this isn't just stuff that you've gone through You've yeah. actually studied a lot of the things, mental health and some of the mm -hmm. stuff that you've, you've gone through currently, right? What, what did you study? So I studied psychology and neuroscience at BYU. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've, I've, I've been blessed with the opportunity to kind of do a deep dive on a lot of the things that have been interesting to me for years. And so, yeah, that's been a huge blessing in my life. So when you say, Hey, I recommend therapy, it's like, there is, tell us, tell us what is so good about that opportunity to go and engage with a therapist. Yeah. And so, I mean, the biggest thing is that people start to, people start to heal when they feel heard. And that's what therapy's 
goal is. Its purpose is to help the individual who's sitting across from the therapist to feel heard so that they can tell their story unapologetically, without judgment, without bias, and to have someone sitting across from them that doesn't say, oh, well, you should do this, this, and this, or, oh, you shouldn't feel that way because that's, you know, being a baby. They sit there and they say, makes total sense. I totally get it. I understand what you're saying. I know that must be really hard. At the end of the day, we're going to fix this together. We're going to make it through this. And so having that individual to have your back is extremely healing for a person who has a lot of trauma, who may be going through something very difficult. And therapy, I mean, I still go to therapy probably once a month just because, you know, we all have baggage. But, you know, different circumstances mean different therapy. You may, you know, want to talk to a therapist over the phone once every six months and just kind of, you know, get some stuff off your chest and you're good to go. You may need therapy once a week. Um, and it's all based on individual circumstances. But, yeah, the, the science and the, the psychology is very clear that we heal when we feel heard. And when we talk it out, when we get to that point where we can feel like we're not being judged, that's when our brain subconsciously starts to put the pieces back together. And it says, oh, we weren't able to do that because it was so tangled up with all this other stress and this other trauma. But once we start talking it out, it's like the puzzle pieces start fitting back together and we, we end up healing. You literally can kind of see it almost visually, right? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Like I, I, I almost wondered for a long time if it was to sit down and just release, right? Yeah. To release that. Not really. That's what it feels like. Right. It's That's like, you're, it like it's like you're letting go. But but you said something that is very key too. That I I I guess I I try and practice this, but I can get so much better at this. And and my wife's gonna listen to this podcast, and she's gonna come talk to me when she does, and she's gonna go, <laughs> "Hey, you need some more practice." And I go, "Okay, you got it." I'm gonna call Drew and talk to him and have him coach uh, me. I love but, it. But that that idea of like, it's got to be a safe place. And, and I would imagine one of the things too, Drew, is that safe place validates you. It says, hey, I see you. I'm so sorry you're going through this. You're not wrong. Yeah. Right? Like, you, I believe what you are saying. I, I'm not questioning that or I'm not saying your thinking is wrong. I trust what you're saying. I validate you. You're right. You are yes. right. Now, now, now we can work through that right now. Here's some, let's, let's gain some tools. Let's put them in our toolbox that allow us to work through that real thing that you're going through. Right. Totally. Nailed it. So tell me, tell me this though, because we see, we see divorce skyrocketing and, and I promise I'm almost done. I'm, I'm going to, I could keep going with you like all <laughs> night and you'd be like, dude, I gotta go. So, so divorce is skyrocketing and yeah. even in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where we believe in eternal marriage. Uh -huh. So we're looking for our eternal companion and we, and it's always, and, and we put in so much emphasis on like growing in love together, growing towards Christ, like the triangle, because then we'll grow together as well. Right. But man, we're, our numbers are not looking good these days. I mean, we're, we're, mm. we're with the world. Right. Yeah. So, so how, how do you practice this in a marriage where 
let's say there's been some fighting that's happening. Uh, I'm just, I'm talking for a friend right now. Okay. (laughs) So, so like having every marriage that's ever existed. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, but not mine. (laughs) I'm talking about a friend right now. No. So, but like, let's just say there's been some fighting. Anytime there's fighting, there's when, when people start to get defensive or feel like they've been attacked, they start throwing out some personal things, right? Uh Just to hurt the other person. You got to make it sting. I got stung. I got to sting back. Right? Like it's crazy (laughs) what we do. Yeah. So let's say that that's been happening. You get into that cycle for a bit. And, and then, and then you're like, well, why, you know, like say, say you want to start making safe places in conversation. Can you do that? Can you change that just like by doing that all of a sudden, or do is at that point, do you need to go to a counselor kind of get that release and then come back and learn how to do that together? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, like I said earlier, I think all, all circumstances are, are individual, especially for couples. Um, and couple therapy is a whole nother thing in itself where, um, uh, you know, it depends on your financial situation, depends on your emotional situation. But typically, and this is something that my wife and I have dealt with too, where, you know, we've, we've been in fights before. And you mean you're, you're talking about your friend? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, but um, like, there's been times where we've we've had um, some some conflict, and you know, we've had so much of it that we've actually you know been able to finally learn from it a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but it depends, honestly. Like, so my wife and I both see the same therapist, uh, but we don't go together; we go individually. And we don't use that time to talk behind each other's backs or whatever. But there's been times where we've had like a fight the night before. And one of us goes to therapy and says, this is what happened. And the therapist says, you know, whatever she says. And we come back home and we, that person talks about it. And we talk about it. And we just let the emotion fade out. And I think more often than not, I'm not, this isn't like scientifically proven, but at least in my personal relationship, 90% of the fights have happened when one of us is tired or like it's right before bed. And we're like, can we just talk about this tomorrow? But we feel like we need to just get it all out there right now. And then we end up can't sleep and then just gets worse and worse. So, um, I mean, you always hear the phrase, don't go to bed angry. Um, I say go to bed angry, but sleep in the same bed. Yes. Uh, because you'll probably wake up the next morning with less emotion, more logic, and just be like, yeah, that was silly. Or you'll be able to be like, you know, that actually hurt what you said, but can we talk about it like regular adults? And then you don't get all, all feisty. I so, yeah, individual therapy can also help with couple-related issues as well. There needs to be a button on ourselves that we can push where it's like, as soon as you think you're going to, you want to open your mouth and start talking, you push it and you're, it like silences you. Right? If we, we would do, we, forget so, how to talk. we would be, we would do so much better for ourselves sometimes <laughs> if we just shut our freaking pie That's hole. Right. right? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to blaze through three last questions for you. Okay. okay. Um, so I, I want to know you, you talked about God and your trust and, and the, the way that you look to him, even through these darkest moments, you did a really good job of doing that in your young life. 
And so kudos to your parents for helping that foundation of, Hey, he's there and helping you learn how to connect with him. Right. And that was on you. So kudos to you, but, but tell me, tell me, Drew, how you learned to trust really, really, really trust in God. Oh, um, through adversity, honestly. Um, I think we trust God the most when he's who we rely on the most. Um, and we can't see him. We don't know he's there. We don't think he's there. But at the end of the day, we're like, I trust you. And uh, if you think about it as a parent, that just makes you love your kid. When your kid is like, you know what, dad, mom, I don't know why you're doing this, but I trust you. Like, you you know what's better for me. That just makes you want to just give them a hug. Like, thank you. And, you know, having a daughter that's 16 months old, um, we know as parents, there's a difference between no and not yet. When we say not yet to our kids, they think it's a permanent no, never, you're not getting this ever, ever, ever. When really we're like, actually, we're going to get in about five minutes. I'm just changing your diaper. So like, can you not yet? And then you'll get whatever you're going to get. And so often I think that we see God as just this God of no's like, nope, 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 nope. When really he's a God of not yet. Like I've prepared this for you. It's coming for you. Like I'm making it shiny. I'm making it perfect for you. So that the moment you reach this, you're going to say, oh my gosh, thank you for not giving me that two years ago. I would have screwed it up. And so knowing that God has our best interest in mind is the reason why I trust him. I thought of earning. You said, you even said something about this earlier in your story. Yeah. God, you don't have to earn anything with God. He Mm -hmm. loves you. He loves us unconditionally and he blesses us beyond. And, and what's interesting is as soon as you learn that you just want to you want him to know how much you, he, you love him through your actions and you start to serve his other children, your brothers and sisters, what you put out there comes back to you like tenfold. It's amazing. Mm, absolutely. But, but there's no, there's no earning, right? There's no, if you're, yeah. if you're in this hole, your deepest, darkest moment, and you're like, I don't deserve anything. I'm nothing. And I've screwed everything up and, and like, God, where are you? Stop saying that to yourself. Cause you're loved and, and you don't have to earn anything. You just have to let him in. Mm. Amen, so, brother. Right. Amen. I mean, that, that amen to you. So, so <laughs> I, I just set the volleyball up and you spiked it home, man. <laughs> so, so next question. Um, and it's kind of more of like, like, tell me what you would say. Right. So, yeah. um, and I love Richard Osler for this reason. He's really good at like what you've struggled with the most. Like, what would you say? What would you say this yeah. person right now, right then? So tell me this. If if you, if you, let's, let's go to that space of like, if you have a missionary who left their mission early or who didn't go on a mission and they struggled with it and they're just in this space that oh, you were in for two years. Sinner. They must right? be a sinner. Yeah, right. Like, oh, you sinner. Um, and, and every girl you talk to now that says, where did you go on your mission? You say, well, I didn't. And they, they say, or, or they say, how old are you? And you say, I'm, I'm, I'm 19 and you're at home and they know, and they don't want to talk to you anymore. And you feel like you're never going to have a wife. 
Mm. Drew, what, what do you, if you had a minute with those people, what would you say to them? Mm. I'd say, listen, I, I love you. Like, I don't look at you any differently. I don't care that you're 20 and home. I don't care that you came home early. As far as I'm concerned, your name is Robert. You like to play basketball. You're going to school here and you're my friend. I, I, I honestly, I cannot tell you how insignificant this looks in the long run. And I can tell you that from personal experience. I don't judge you. I don't look at you differently. I know that it's got to be hard for you. I don't, I'm not downplaying that whatsoever. I've been there. It's difficult. It's painful. But at the end of the day, if a girl is saying she doesn't want to go out with you, they're lost. I've had it done to me numerous times. They don't get it. Totally fine. Move on. Secondly, if, if someone's giving you crap, if you're giving yourself crap for coming home early for some reason or another, first of all, it doesn't matter why you came home. What matters is how you're moving forward. And so just keep doing the right things. You're going to make it. Yes. Yes. It doesn't <laughs> matter. doesn't matter. And, and, and that pain that you're in right now, just like you said, Drew, this is going to be that thing that allows you to understand compassion even more. Mm-hmm. And the blessings that come through your life because of giving that compassion to others, that's more joy than money can ever buy you. Yep. Amen. God, good stuff. I, I had a thought the other day, a silent thought, and I, it's not going to be silent anymore because I'm sitting on a podcast, but <laughs> I thought, why don't I, if there's ever a young man or young woman that comes back from a mission early, and I mean, obviously you would recognize it in your ward, right? Yeah. But why don't I go knock on the door and just say, hey, are they home? I just want to say hi and just look them in the eye and say, hey, I just want you to know I love you. And I, I'm so make like, their life better. I'm so excited that you're back home and I'm here. And like yeah. I love you. Right? Like, wouldn't yeah. that just change a time? Oh, amazing. Let's go grab a frosty. Yeah, like it's it would it would revolutionize their life. Yeah. Amen. And so so that's that's a new commitment for me. Okay, last question, I swear. And then I'm gonna let you get back to your wife and hang out. <laughs> And, and, um, I, again, thank you. Um, thank you. So I ask all my guests at the end of my podcast through your darkest moments, think back to that time when you, I know you, I know you faced some, um, suicide ideation, right? Um, think back to that very moment. What was the gift that you received because you went through that experience? Empathy. I think that that is the one of the greatest gifts that we can receive in life. It's what Jesus received through going through Gethsemane. I mean, to know that he understands us is probably the most calming, comforting, loving thought that we can have, I think, in this life, knowing that he gets it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I I don't understand everything, obviously, um, but I do understand a lot of what people go through when it comes to emotional and mental trauma, and uh, and uh, you know, 
when it comes to stuff like suicide, when it comes to stuff like bullying, when it comes to stuff like mental illness, I can say that I get it and not, you know, placate someone or make them feel like I get it when I really don't. And so that's the gift that I'm trying to give more and more people through my books, through my social media, through doing podcasts with amazing people like yourself is just, I get it. You're going to make it through. I've been there. Um, keep fighting. God, that's awesome. So cool. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to read a scripture if that's okay. Yeah, let's do it. I, I just, when you were talking, I heard this and then, and then we'll wrap it up. So this is, I'm going to validate Alma the Younger's feelings here. If you're not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, if the Book of Mormon has this one missionary who's like the biggest dirtbag in the world when he's a young man, and then all of a sudden he has this crazy awesome experience, come to Jesus moment, if you will. And then later on, he talks about it. And I love, if anyone's been through really, really hard, hard things, which all of us have. But if you've ever been in those dark moments where you don't feel like you have any worth, well, that's that's this guy until he had his come to Jesus moment, if you will. But I, I love his words, and I think they're going to relate a lot to what Drew was saying earlier. And it came to pass that I was thus racked with torment while I was harrowed up by the memory of my many sins. Behold, I remember also to have heard my father prophesy unto the people concerning the coming of one Jesus Christ, a son of God, to atone for the sins of the world. Now as my mind caught hold upon this thought, I cried within my heart, O Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me, whom in the gall of bitterness, and am encircled about by the everlasting chains of death. We've been there, right? Been there. When I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. Yea, I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins no more. Shame goes away. And oh, what joy and what marvelous light I did behold. Yea, my soul was filled with joy as exceeding as was my pain. That's it. Amen. That's what happens. And, and so anybody that's there, hold on. Give it a day. Let those feelings go. Release give it a day and just know you have not lost any value to God. None whatsoever. Yeah. In fact, I am brave enough to say this to you. You've actually, you've actually gained more value because your weaknesses are creating opportunity for you. As soon as you overcome these things, because you're going to, you're going to be able to help reach people in places that many of us won't be able to go because of what you've been through. Right. Drew, you're awesome, man. I so I'm gonna direct people to your books when I post this, and um, yeah. and and I I as you and I talked about before, um, if people want to reach out to you, if they want to talk to you, learn more about you, um, you have a website, correct? I do. Yeah, it's um, it's not as it's not as fluent as I'd like. So the best way for people to get in touch with me is through social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram. Awesome. Um, and I love it when people reach out, you know, with questions or concerns or anything. I actually just started, um, my own coaching. Oh, cool. Um, so if people are interested or have any questions about that, I'd be more than happy to speak with them. So cool. I'll, I'll post your handle and your, your usernames. We'll go from there. The books can be found on Amazon. Is there anywhere else you can buy them as well? So my publisher is Cedar Fort. So cedarfort.com. Okay. Um, 
Amazon. And then in the coming months, there'll be a few more surprise retailers, but uh, awesome. that, that's, uh, that's in the works. So, so first book is the meaning of your mission. Wow. That's amazing. I love that. And then the second book, which comes out this August is stand guard at the door of your mind. And I mean, yep. just that idea right there makes the book one that I want to pick up and just digest. Right. Thank you. My friend. Drew, you're awesome, man. Keep doing what you're doing. And you guys, I encourage you to follow Drew. I, as I've followed him just for the short time that I have, I feel uplifted. I feel value. I see him trying to give other people value that's what this this man does. And obviously it's because of what he's been through in his life and he's turning around and using it to like just bless people's lives. So Drew, thanks so much, man. Thanks, Mike. It's an honor to be here. Uh, right back at you. Thank you for tuning in to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. I would love to hear your feedback. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcast or any podcast platform you use. If you or someone you know has a delightful story to share that I need to talk to, please email me at come towards delight at gmail.com.